2: That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Fans are going to the World Cup, get over. This fellow Ronaldo is a cop. Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, that's actually... I have to use you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Relax. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I don't throw punches. What you doing down here, you show me, man?
1: It's the Irish Times second captain's football podcast. Owen and Ken here taking a break from the festivities to come in and chat Premier League with you. Hi, Ken. Hi, Owen. How are you? I'm good. Have you recovered from the huge controversy of the Christmas period?
3: Which Which one was that now? Which one, Ken? Yeah. I mean, you, you know
1: what I'm talking about. You, you obviously, you've seen a bit the Reduction in size of the Cadbury's Roses containers, really? Oh, not again, really. Oh, again, Ken, four years in a row now. Uh, 20, (laughs) 20, 24 grams off them this year. Uh, it's the Um, yeah, it's now 25% smaller than it was in 2011.
3: Why are they doing that? I mean, is that I thought the modern way was to sort of supersize everything, like that everything was getting larger.
1: Well, I guess you know to
3: feed the gluttonous, habits of. But if people are
1: willing to keep paying the same price for smaller and smaller boxes, and they're not even metal containers these days. Yeah. well i don't know if they're metal to begin with but yeah you know, they're just well it was a kind of metal <laughs> they're just're they're just, they're just plastic tubs now and when exactly by the way did they remove the dairy milk from the equation that's what i want to know have they yes or i didn't realize so really the only one i have much interest in is the hazelnut
3: swirly one i i ate i didn't eat any uh, roses no? this year no i had um what sort of food i ate, i ate a lot of soft biscuits
1: What do you mean Jaffa cakes
3: no um they were they were originally meant to be you know crunchy, I suppose, but just uh, when they're in those kind of tins <laughs> which are just terrible containers for biscuits okay. they uh, they just became soft and sort of squishy, you know that kind of way mm. Mm-hmm didn't stop me eating them like but uh in industrial quantities with slight, with slight <laughs> resentment as i uh, stuffed them in the sure i mean again. i did
1: yeah i did eat a lot of roses i will i will say that but uh yeah. not as many as i wanted to it turns out watch any good tv any catch right uh
3: no let me think um you didn't see the sh- there was a lot of kind of music stuff on christmas Day, wasn't there i saw a bit of u2 in paris
1: oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i didn't see it.
3: You know, I don't know if we mentioned the fact that we when we went to San Francisco that time mm-hmm. uh, in, in May, Brian Murphy was like, "Hey guys, you know, I've got I've got uh, two tickets for you too." <laughs> you know, you two were playing like the Shoreline Amphitheater somewhere. They were playing in San Francisco. It, it happened to be there the week we were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've got I've only got two. You know, I'm really, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Some of you guys are going to have to miss out, and just kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know who he ended up giving the tickets to in the end. Yep, can't believe actually. When looking back, we should have probably gone to see them. Never actually been to see them. I think there was something else on that night, but I did get to see the uh, the show from Paris. Mm-hmm. And uh, it impressed. Well, you know, good, nice, some good stuff on the screens. You know, when Bono brings you back to the streets of the Northside, Northside Dublin, um, you know where the streets all have names. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, many, many streets and many names. Yeah, so that was. That was it, really. I mean, uh, I was watching the Father Ted Christmas special was on, right? I was watching. I thought, you know, it's pretty good. It's the Golden Cleric one, you know.
1: Oh yeah, we got it. We should, should have uh, flagged that with Richie Sadler because we got Richie in on for a New Year's Eve special. Yeah, a man who's never, never seen, seen Father it-ish. Ted.
3: Yeah, well, we were watching it, and um, and it kind of went to you know, I was kind of chuckling away to myself watching it, and then it went to the ad break, and my father-in-law kind of looked at me and went. Really stupid, isn't it? <laughs> I think he might be in the Richie camp.
1: Yeah. Uh, do you want to know what I saw? Uh, what I watched? Yeah, go on. You're about to say no, but because you want no, to start no, talking please, Premier League. But, me, no, uh, no. Uh, just, just, just the one program. Running wild with Bear Grylls, oh. featuring President Barack Obama. Really, Obama was with Bear Grylls. Yeah, what
3: in the wilderness? Wilderness would be a strong term, Ken. He in the was, Rose Garden, White House Rose well, Garden. Well, no, it
1: was it was wilderness. It was. I'm not sure exactly where in America, but uh, he. Uh, this, it was the biggest glacier in America. Is what they went to have a look. They, oh. they, they took a stroll up a little hill, right <laughs> down then into a little valley. Sure. Had a look at this glacier, which has been the the point of this was essentially Pr- fast a, disappearing y- glacier. Yes, exactly. Feast your
3: eyes, because it won't be won't be here for too much longer. Exactly, it was a vehicle really for.
1: Barack Obama's talk in great detail and at great length uh, at times in a... Um, well, I would say the, the program was quite long. It could have been shorter. Now, there were... Of course, there were little... Uh, he was talking about his climate change, his ideas were climate change and so forth. They did cook some salmon, eat some salmon, which apparently is a rarity... For Obama to eat live on TV, they don't like him doing it. His security people
3: don't like him eating. Why is he eat like a like a pig?
1: Wasn't no, I, I don't know, I don't know what it was. I don't even know if it's a, it's a security issue or what. But his people, he said, he said, it, um, oh, actually, Bear Grylls said this in one of his pieces of camera. This this rarely happens. He rarely eats. Really? So he had this this lovely salmon,
3: as opposed cooked to, this know, time, not just torn mm. from straight from the scaly flesh. At one stage, they started talking
1: about um the way uh, Bear Grylls has uh, drank his own urine in the past. Oh, yeah. and Obama's saying, talking to the camera about one drinking one's own urine and I was thinking, no. I mean, <laughs> this is a pretty spectacular program And President Obama's about to <laughs> drink his own urine. Didn't happen. I talked an awfully long time, for an awfully long time about... Um, his family life you know they are all these little oh michelle she's a tough cookie but now she's a sweetheart really oh those kids there she wears the
3: trousers yeah and yeah the,
1: the kids whoa, they're teenagers they they're always up to something now nah, but they're sweet
3: kids really oh <laughs> so God.
1: this was uh, i'm not going to recommend this program ken it was pretty shite i'm not going to lie yeah uh, it was quite disappointing but I stuck with it for the entire hour
3: yeah this is not really a lot else on. I no, that's true.
1: if you missed our podcast on Christmas Eve the second captain's Christmas sports pudding you can take a little bit of time out of your day to have a listen to an amazing story featuring US Murph I don't want to spoil it uh, and it's hard to talk much about it without spoiling it so if you haven't had a listen have a listen I've tweeted a link to the article as well if you have a look at my Twitter feed, there at the article about the Super Bowl 39, was it? In Miami around 1995, that the conversation is based on. So it's uh, not a bad way to spend your day listening to US Murph and then reading that article. At some point right now, we're going to get stuck into the report on sport.
3: Well, there's no doubt who the team of the Christmas period have been, mm-hmm. and that's Stoke City. Oh yeah, um, Stoke City. Uh, first of all, beating Manchester United 2 0 nil—a good, solid beating, which could have been more goals really if Stoke hadn't been profligate in both the first and second halves. And uh, then going and beating Everton four three in a game which uh, almost made Roberto Martinez's stubbly little head explode <laughs> because uh, he well he didn't like the penalty um, that they were given. I mean, I can see how this penalty was given. It looked like a penalty from the position the referee was in. Of course, John Stones had actually got a faint contact on the ball and Marco Ornatovic kind of fell over him. But, you know, these are, I suppose, the things that Martin Martinez's point there, I guess, would have been that, you know, unless you're really sure, you can't possibly give a penalty to settle a game like that in the last minute. Uh, You really need to be very convinced that that is a penalty. But you know, it's at moments like this that you start to see a sort of unattractive side of Roberto Martinez, Go I think. On. Well just the way that he goes on sometimes about the referees is just extremely harsh. Um you know, uh you know, he, he has an absolutely no problem standing there and and really uh hammering a referee mm-hmm. for making a mistake. You know what I mean? It's almost as though he never makes mistakes himself. It's almost as though uh, the defeat that Everton suffered had nothing to do with any of the other goals that they conceded for, uh, four in all, against Stoke, um, that it makes it more difficult to have sympathy with him when things go against him. You know what I mean? I, I really think it's something that he needs to start to...
1: Well, is, that, is that not exactly how every manager
3: acts? I think Roberto Martinez is actually one of the worst ones for it. Martinez, remember, Martinez has benefited from a couple of bad refereeing decisions in the past. Wasn't it Callum McManaman, his player at Wigan, who took some, I can't remember who the player he took out was, but it was one of the more spectacular fouls in the history of English football. Mm. And uh, Martinez is kind of just, no, you know, oh, Callum's a good lad. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's kind of like, I, I just, I just sometimes feel that you should temper your criticism. I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, we're not happy with the penalty decision. But, like, to, to go on and on about it just kind of makes me feel, okay, well, if that's your attitude to people, when you feel people have messed up, then when the, crit- the criticism that's going to come his way, especially the way that Everton are just kind of marooned now, you know, Everton have got a, a really good team. I mean, they've got so many excellent players. They've got Lukaku, who's abs- absolutely on fire at the moment. I mean, the goal that he, his second goal yesterday was just Absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah, he's getting them all out of the way before the Euros.
3: He is. Well, I was I was looking at it, I was like, Oh, there's Arnautovic. he's playing pretty well. I don't have to play against him in the in the qualifiers. Here's Lukaku, he's looking pretty good. Uh there's quite a lot of and there's Johnny Walters sitting on the bench. Poor John Walters has to sit on the bench and watch Arnautovic and Shakiri and all these guys. Shakiri, by the way, who scored a goal. Uh an absolutely phenomenal. Uh, goal! One of his his two goals yesterday. Uh, ch-
1: chip, did a chip finish in the half oddy,
3: which was just brilliant. Mm. I mean, it was stunned. The, the you could hear this odd silence at Goodison Park, and weirdly, Alan Shearer and Ian Wright. I then saw later on, and much Day saying he didn't mean it. I, I'm, were they joking? I'm not 100 percent sure. I don't. I think they were seriously saying he didn't mean to score this. In which case, what was he trying to do? You know, they they suggested he was attempting a layoff to Arnautovic, but in that case, I don't think I've ever seen anyone di- get anything so wrong on a football. Well, event. the maybe it was the flight of the
1: ball. Looked the flight of the ball wasn't unlike, say, Ray Houghton's goal against Italy in Giant Stadium. Mm. It was one of those floaty sort of shots. Now, That's it was, mm, yeah, but I think it was a. You, know, you could argue that Houghton's was probably even less deliberate. In, I'm not sure he's. Think yeah, think Houghton's yeah, was like, a definite let, miss hit. Yeah, let's not, let's not uh, have a call, Ray Houghton's call, against uh, against Italy here. But no, in this case, it did have that, that sort of floaty element to it. So it looks kind of strange. Maybe that's just what Shearer and Wright were caught by, that it didn't look exactly like a classic chipped goal necessarily. But when you saw it, in, on every single replay, the more you saw it, the more carefully it looked as though he'd struck the ball. And you also you do have an idea by a player's reaction as soon as he chipped it, you can see him following the flight of the ball. It, it, it was all a very deliberate motion, I felt. Um, yeah, and then he celebrated in a very cocky manner, which oh,
3: yeah, proves he must very, be going for it. Very beautiful goal, you yeah. but yeah, I mean, they 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 have got an excellent, um, uh, sort of they're in they're in great form anyway. This front three now, obviously, Manchester United kind of helped them out a little bit, like Memphis the pie. Um, One of the worst efforts of defending, you know, that we'll see this season, I guess. You know, kind of diving, an attempted diving header back to the goalkeeper, into the wind, which travelled about two feet from his forehead, uh, allowing Glenn Johnson to get in and and give uh, Bohan Kirkic the ball. But um, Arnautovic's goal was just amazing. Uh, The the second goal, uh, Mark Hughes saying, uh, we tell him till we're blue in the face to shoot more to be perfectly honest because he has got great power um, maybe this will encourage him I mean he does there's something about him that really re- does remind me of Zlatan Ibrahimovic mm. I don't think he's in quite in Zlatan's league in talent but something about the way that he kind of chops through the ball um, that, that shot uh, that I don't know it was very Zlatan like um, well, anyway, it's his build as well, but his, yeah, his gigantic uh, frame. You mentioned John, Jonathan oh,
1: Jonathan Walters there, yeah. player of the year according to Jonathan Northcroft.
3: Yeah, well I, I I saw that he'd done an interview in the Sunday Times, but I haven't actually I haven't actually read it. Uh, I saw that he was player. Of the, on what basis was John Walters player of the year? Was the, the, it, on, John, on, the Northcroft there was, has a has got an interview with him. Yeah, well, Jonathan Northcroft said a lot of people would say Jamie Vardy would be
1: player of the year, but. It's hard to beat Jonathan Walters' story for... Oh, I can't remember the exact phrase. So feel-good f- factor, we'll say. Uh, something along those lines. Yeah, Didn't really go into any detail. It wasn't as though this was a pe- uh, think piece about why Jonathan Walters is player is of the, the year. Uh, is
3: the unheralded player of the it year. It seemed to be a, a
1: catchy throwaway line
3: within the piece. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, John Walters had a, had a great year and it's just bizarre that he suddenly finds himself now sitting on the bench... At Stoke, I mean, from our point of view, I suppose, you know, it's almost like he's got a little winter break. <laughs> maybe he'll be um, fresher at the Euros for the, you know, maybe we'll get the benefit of it. Although, or, or maybe, you know, we're losing sort of, what Walters is in kind of the form of his life. At the, moment. the best thing to do would be to play. I think it would be better if he was playing. I mean, I'm sure he will get back in. This is the one thing about Walters is that he doesn't get injured a lot. Um, no
1: and this is a big we point. say it
3: without hoping to tempt fate yeah this
1: is a big point that Northcroft was making that he outlined the amount of signings that were made in the upfront and on the wing since he's joined stoke whatever made player players it was and really only up until now uh that it hasn't been a problem for Walters he's found a way largely through hard work Walter's just outlined a little bit how he kind of goes into the gym earlier and earlier every summer as he's getting on a bit to make sure that he's still the fittest player there and all the rest of it. Which is why you're taking away one of his great strengths if you're using him as a substitute uh, in that he's a guy who can last 90 minutes better than a lot of players in the yeah. Premier
3: League. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the thing the thing is, you know, Shakiri obviously is the preferred option sort of on the right at the moment. I mean, when he does things as he has over, you know, when he, his game against Man City, where he was just playing through ball after through ball, or scores goals like he did against Everton, you can see why that is. Um, Shakiri though, isn't, I would say, the most durable. Uh, I mean, he, he he looks like he should be invincible, uh, but in fact, he does tend to get quite a few little muscle problems. Um, so I'm sure John Walters would get his chance again. It's just... Um, his, you know, sitting on the bench obviously isn't too good for your uh, rhythm. Um, but, yeah, what's the, the other thing uh, resulting from those matches was that uh, James McCarthy got injured again. Um, and this is seems to be a recurrence of... He's had this kind of persistent groin problem. Uh, and the problem with those is that they're... It's kind of like... It's always a difficult injury to uh, precisely diagnose and also to treat... Uh, it kind of you know muscles which uh, need to be working properly, or a lot of things are going wrong all over the place. So um, hopefully he kind of recovers from that. I mean, I think always with Everton, well, Everton are always um, you know, and Roy Keane has talks about this. They're very, they're always very risk averse when it comes to Ireland playing James McCarthy. Oh no, you know he's he's still recovering, but they tr- they tend to throw him straight back in as soon as he can walk in, in their own matches, uh, which I suppose is is, is entirely their right. But you know. Um, you you kind of almost like to see them um, give them a little bit of time to recover, but given their position at the moment, I don't think there's much chance of that. Now, uh, obviously, Louis van Gaal has been the, the big story Uh, of the month I guess and this run of defeats that Manchester United have which they finally managed to bring to a close I mean what this they were showing fans you know at at Old Trafford with Jose Mourinho scarves who would walk into Old Trafford with one of those things what kind of person would do
1: that well it sounds like you're on Paul Scholes's side here
3: Ken what did he say
1: there was a shot of the the scarf seller the man selling those Jose Mourinho scarves Yeah, there was only one outside the ground Jake Humphrey was saying, Oh, look at that. And yeah. so, maybe the fans are a little bit against Jose. And uh, Skull starts talking about something else and then said, By the way, I don't know what that clown is up to. Yeah. You know, what that clown thinks he's doing, selling these scarves. But well, he's making a tidy profit, I'd say, if, depending on how many he manufactured.
3: You would have thought that was risky enough behavior. I mean, this guy is some kind of a thrill seeker. <laughs> I, I would have thought uh, that you could be in danger of getting roughed up. You know, I'm not that I'm suggesting Manchester United fans are hooligans or you know lawlessness is rife, uh, <laughs> you know, on the Old Trafford forecourt. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> at the same time, uh, I th- I just thought, are we seriously at this stage now? Are we get, I mean, it's obviously easy enough to get these things printed up or whatever. But come on, like Jose Mourinho, are we? S- uh, Jose Mourinho has been a kind of a rival of of Manchester United for as long as he's been in the game. I mean, since, you know, he kind of almost announced his, you know, pr- you know, announced himself as a famous sort of person in English football with that beating, you know, knocking them out of the Champions League at Old Trafford. And since then, he's always been against them. I mean, okay, there, you know, there may be, I imagine there's some persuasive voices speaking in the ear of Ed Woodward uh, about Jose Mourinho's credentials. I mean, Ed Woodward obviously... Has signed a few players from George Mendes at this stage. And we saw George Mendes in action in that Ronaldo movie, and he's he can be a very persuasive man. He can be a very insistent man, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, you know they, they do have each other's phone numbers. Uh, so I'm sure Woodward is hearing that. But it's not, it's not as though he's a universally popular figure. Everybody has always loved José Miriam. Anyway, uh, Van Hal uh, managed to. Uh, you know, end this run of defeats at least. Although a nil-nil against Chelsea at home is actually a disappointing result.
1: Yeah, it was a sixth-place team against a, at home to the sixteenth-place team,
3: hmm. and fair enough. To everyone else has been beating like a gong. Yeah, all season. If, if fair
1: enough. If Hitting could come along and they won their two games since 4 0 and they did, they did win the first one, but then they lost. So it's not as though well, okay, it, this is the real Chelsea we're seeing now. Chelsea look look quite petrified. I thought at times of. Of playing any football. As uh, as I think Rio or certainly some of the BT guys were saying, it's basically a Jose Mourinho team. Uh, if mm. Mourinho had been playing that sort of football with them, he would have probably got criticised.
3: Well, it's it's like uh, one of Mourinho's first games back at Chelsea um, was was away to David Moyes' Manchester United and again, he chose to go without a striker. Now, Hiddink didn't choose. It was Diego Costa who managed to get himself suspended. But mm. um, idiotically for this for this match so Hitting didn't have too many uh, alternatives but Mourinho did that where he, he played without a striker it was like the Andre Sherlock front or something like this and uh, and it was a similar type of thing Chelsea just don't they, they played that way against Tottenham but again they didn't score um, you know there was just no what was it was almost frustrating watching Chelsea I mean how can you know Willian, uh, Willian at least as been in good form all season, William uh, and Eden Hazard, having players like this just sort of run up blind alleys and just dawdle too long on the ball. They did obviously have that huge chance when Emmanuel Matic was clean through. And, you know, kind of didn't surprise anyone with what happened. It was like, this is not the man you want in this situation. Still, though, a kind of a career-defining, you know, Jeff Thomas-like miss from Matic. It was... No one is going to forget that. You know, that was... That's the kind of thing that would live them. But Van Hal afterwards, uh, I don't really think seemed to be. He he still seemed, I think, to be. He, he was saying he wasn't hurt. That's not my message. You haven't understood my message. If you if you think that I'm hurt, he did. He does. I think look hurt. You know, and a kind of personally affronted by by what's been happening to him. I mean, there was this press conference that he did. You know, does no one here have the feeling to apologise to me? You know, and he was kind of guilting guilting the room. You know, why don't you have some wine and mince pies <laughs> and enjoy your Christmas? I'll do my best to enjoy my Christmas. You know, what do you think my grandchildren think when they read when they read this stuff? But of course, he kind of created a lot of himself. I mean, he said, "Oh, of course, I can. I can always resign myself," hmm. which everyone sort of took as, how I, I was thinking about resigning," not unreasonably. That's kind of what it sounds like, you know. He. It, it turns out maybe he meant I could always resign myself. You know, this sacking isn't the only. But even still, he. I mean, he was saying basically last night. I never. I never said that. I never said I was thinking about resigning. You know, you. You're reporting lies about me. Um That's one of the reasons I was annoyed. But that kind of is what he said.
1: Ah, yeah, it did seem pretty clear that. Certainly, that was the interpretation taken by the journalists there
3: by all of them well that's what it's it's if a manager says I can always resign myself then mm. <laughs> they're just not words you often hear coming out of the, of the manager if he says that you're going to you're going to think well okay that's definitely a, a line
1: in fairness I don't think anyone ever
3: thought that media relations
1: were going to be his strong suit no and it's proving that way the one thing that people did think was that he could be, he was going to be big enough. This is all the nonsense spouted when he was appointed. That, ah, oh, that that Moyes clown is gone. Now, this guy, this guy's bigger, than Manu, this guy's going to, and the journalists I—I I at the time almost wanted this to be bossed around by this big egotist. Um, but, uh, you know, the idea was that he's not going to be worried about any of us scribes writing any criticism of him. Of course, he everybody is. I mean, Mourinho's the most egotistical man of football, and he is thin-skinned as the rest of them. Just because you're egotistical doesn't mean the criticism
3: doesn't get under your skin. No, often, in fact, it means exactly that. Uh, If, you know, oftentimes people who are really big egos find it very difficult to... um, Take criticism. Yeah, Uh, which obviously nobody likes. But yeah, he's saying the players are are fighting for him, and uh, the club has a lot of confidence in him. I don't know. Do you have confidence
1: in him at this stage? would you see him seeing out the season now based on that
3: well I, I mean draw? I kind of always have had a certain amount of confidence in I I, I think Van Gaal is a good manager I think he's a good guy I mean it's, he's he's found himself in a bad situation which he's handled I think poorly mm. um, you know when he, you can't sort of say I can always resign and then complain when people say Van Gaal thinking about resigning you know you can't it's just come on you know you, you balls that one up mm. you know and there have there've obviously been a lot of mistakes um I don't know. I I, I just kind of feel, I I feel as though he's probably passed. I I think he's at he's at that point where enough people have lost confidence in him, which is a difficult thing to resurrect. That every setback is always going to be. Oh, you know, how long are we going to stick with this guy? You see it happening to managers mm-hmm. sometimes, and they just they just pass this sort of point of no return where he would have to win a lot of games in a row. I mean, we say past the point of no return, although, you know, looking at the league table at the moment, who's top is uh, Arsene Wenger? I mean, how many times have we, how many times have we talked about, oh, this is obviously done, you know, when, when are they going to realize this fossilized Arsene Wenger regime is is never going to deliver another title? And, you know, okay, maybe I'm saying if you gave Louis Van Hal the next 10 years, <laughs> he would, he would, he, he would get a title. I, I mean, I, I've always felt that he's a good manager. Um, uh, you, you, it's not so long ago that you know, as he keeps pointing out, they were doing well in the league last season. They had a very strong sort of surge in the second half of the season, where it looked like things were coming together. But as he says, the crisis is is what happens outside. Like he 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 was making a point: the crisis is more or less the environment is making the crisis inside the club. The players are willing to fight for every meter. The managers are willing to fight. The members of staff are willing to fight. Um, so it's not inside Man United but you know that's acting so the outside world doesn't matter it does you know the, uh, after the Stoke game he was talking he was he was talking it sounded to me like a guy who he, he was like oh, of course I'm going to stay I'm going to fulfill my contract you know when you st- start using legalistic terms like that <laughs> it, you're, you're, he sounds like a guy who's almost making the point I'm going to need to be paid off here my contract will have to be fulfilled one way or the other that's 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 what I'm standing by. I'm mm. standing by my contract. That's what he sounded like after Stoke. And that was just, you know, three days ago.
1: Goose Hiddink was asked beforehand, do you have any sympathy for your fellow Dutchman, Louis van Hal? And Hiddink said, well, you know, Premier League's an exciting place. <laughs> a lot of uh, soap opera type stories. And uh, yeah,
3: just looking forward to the game. <laughs> <laughs> it's a form of theatre. But you know, I think uh, what, what Hiddink and van Hal's relationship is like, I couldn't tell you. Obviously, they've been... Um,
1: well, supposedly they don't get on. Yeah, they, but he also they, doesn't get on with Cruyff. He didn't go Van Hal. Uh, Van Hal, Van Hal yeah. yeah, somebody was tweeting me saying that Cumin isn't a very big Van Hal fan. So I don't know how popular he is among his. He, know, he's
3: suppose. a guy who, you know, he 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 put the back up. He put a lot of other managers' backs up because when he was when he was like working as a pundit and that he would slam them. <laughs> you know, he just he wouldn't at all do the sort of diplomatic usual pundit thing of saying, oh, you know. Gus is a, obviously a great manager. You know, we always have a glass of wine after the game, and you know, I love to see his team's doing well. He'd be like, "Oh, Hitting, this is rubbish. This isn't football. <laughs> you know, what? He's trying to kill the sport." That would be kind of Van Hal's approach. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, it, it maybe Hitting also—I'm sure Hitting has, has some kind of baseline respect for for Van Hulle. You know, they've, they've been sure. peers for a long time, and to express sympathy for someone isn't always necessarily a diplomatic move, you know. You know, hitting I pity you.
1: Yeah, that's true, actually. Maybe so it's better not to he was, offer him Maybe he's
3: just sidestepping the the charge of of patronising his uh, his fellow man. Any other
1: team you want to talk about before we wrap up this there's this not talk? a lot, not a lot no. really
3: Liverpool obviously much beat the league leaders um Leicester City, uh Leicester's first defeat since start this since they played Arsenal. And um yeah I mean the the interesting thing there was Benteke being left out again. And then coming on to actually score the winning goal, and you f- you kind of feel with Liverpool they're going to have to find a way of using Benteke because Sturge, obviously you can see Sturge sitting in the stand again. Whatever was wrong with him this time, you know he's you can't count on him. Um, but Benteke is like uh, it's becoming clear quite unsuitable for the kind of game Liverpool are trying to play, and yet is by far the best goal scorer in the in the squad. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to, I think, compromise. Uh, on that, I mean, they just don 't look like scoring if he's not there, um not to say that they look like scoring all the time if he is, but there are ways in which they can score. I boot the ball into the box in the general direction of your center forward yeah uh and Benteke can give you a goal um give you a goal in the, in that type of situation uh cop was talking about having spoken to him i don't know what their how um how friendly their discussion was. But, I mean, it, it, it is interesting that he comes in and sort of quite quickly is leaving the most expensive player in the squad on the bench, you know, playing playing a novice, playing a guy who's, remember, also a junior partner team him at international level. You know what I mean? Origi is like not... Now Origi, he, he went off injured in that game, so maybe is going to have to get a run, but we'll see if he can actually do any running on his run, because that seems to be the... Uh, the point of issue. That's
1: it for Kennedy's Report on Sport.
0: for that sort of incident. I care not one jot about his supreme talent. He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter...
1: Jonathan Wilson, we want to talk to you about, well, about the London clubs. Arsenal in particular, who are top of the league, they beat City, uh, beat Bournemouth 2-0 last night, obviously, but the um, 4-0 defeat against Southampton in between times was maybe the most intriguing result. Can you comfortably can you at this age comfortably dismiss that middle result as just a one-off?
2: No, I don't think you can. And I, I, uh, I, I think I don't even think it is a one off. I think it, it sort of fits a pattern of significant underperformance in certain away games this season. That um you know came after the, the defeat at West Brom, the the game at Norwich. Um, that, that every now and again they, they have an away game when they, they really just don't turn up. Uh, and if they you know come up against a team who who sort of clicking the form of Southampton suddenly and slightly unexpectedly did, then then they're capable not just of losing, but of actually getting blown apart.
3: So do you, I mean, last night Arsene Wenger was talking after the match and, and everything, there was this kind of weird deja vu to what he was saying because he was like, yes, um you, it, you could say Mesut Ozil is the new Dennis Bergkamp. Yes, you could say Petr Cech is the new David Seaman. Are you saying, no, we can't say this is the third great team to emerge in Arsenal under Arsene Wenger, or at least we can't say that yet?
2: Uh, yes, we can't say that yet. I mean, I, I don't dispute that is uh, so playing brilliantly. Not sure he's quite got the the hardness of Bergkamp, but, you know, what, 16 assists is it now this season, which is ridiculous. I think it's, I think it's he's, he's playing, playing brilliantly. Time, yeah. uh, Czech I think, has made a huge difference, although I think he was culpable, partly culpable, at, at least at Southampton. Um, but, you know, he, he clearly has, has been an improvement on Ospina, who I didn't think had a bad season last season at all, but, he, you know, he, he projects uh, an authority and a confidence dis- Despite the odd mistake, that, that I think has improved Arsenal generally as a team. But they've still got that fundamental issue, which has really been a problem all the way through. I, I, I guess two fundamental issues. One is they, they do have this slight tendency to complacency. And I think you really saw that um, the game against um, the game Monaco last season, when they were sort of swaggering. It was sort of a sense of, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll win this 2 or 3 0, we don't really have to. To be ruthless about it, maybe even uh, the home game against Olympiakos this season that they they do have a slight tendency to you know to to, to become sort of too pleased with, it, with the niceness of how they play without actually getting the job done but I think there's also just a structural issue in the team uh, which I guess is exacerbated by the, by the lack of signing so the back in midfield if you don't have Cochrane there, you don't really have a natural holder and that creates a huge problem because Mertesacker is so slow on the turn if somebody gets a run at him. He, he's going to be, and, and there's you know that game um, was it beginning of last season or the season before when they got beaten three one by Aston Villa? It was the season before last, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's exactly the same thing. The Agbonlahor like was just charging at Murtasaka, who, when you isolate him like that, he, there's nothing he can do because he's so you know, for, for all those qualities in the air, he is very very slow on the turn, so he needs protecting from that. Well, you mentioned
3: Mr. Odilo there at the start of the answer, and he. I mean, what he's what he's doing is phenomenal. No one has uh, been setting up this many goals in the Premier League. Uh, no one's been setting up goals at this rate ever. Um, it's it's astonishing. Uh, what do you think is the difference? I mean, is it simply a question that you know Ozil? <laughs> I mean. He obviously had the World Cup, there was there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of football, maybe the, the turmoil of moving from Real Madrid, that maybe it just took him a couple of seasons to sort of get his head around all the change in his life, and this is the real mezzarosa we're finally seeing?
2: Uh I think that's that's partly it. I think there's a couple of other things. Um something that he himself mentioned actually. He said he's sleeping a lot better now. I'm not sure if there's a reason for that, but um, I guess if you sleep better, A, you're going to be mentally sharper, and, and B, it, it obviously helps with your physical conditioning. So maybe that's enabled him to do more work in the gym. and He's a bit more robust than he was. Uh, so he, you know he doesn't actually have to be in space. He can bounce off defenders a bit more. Um, but I actually think he's probably helped from Sanchez, uh, not being around the last sort of... I mean, I know he was creating chance with Sanchez there, but I, I think when he and Sanchez are there, they occasionally slightly get in each other's way. And one of the reasons there's been this sort of glut of assists over the last month or so is without Sanchez, everything does go through it. So, so it's easier for him to to take control. He can drift wide without worrying about getting in Sanchez's space. So I, I, yeah, I think the three things come together. That's uh, familiarity with the Premier League and understanding of... So I mean, there's something I remember Samuel Etta saying years ago. I think it was back in 2006 I spoke to him. And he was um, he was at the Cup of Nations in, in, in Egypt. and we're, He was in Cairo. And it was, it was actually in his in his hotel room. He, when I went into his hotel room, he was he was watching some local game. I thought oh, maybe it was a game from the UAE on on TV. And so I said to him, oh, you know, what what you're watching?" He said, "I don't really know, but I like to watch football from all around the world because the space appears in different places in different countries." So maybe Urte was just taking them into a third season to work out where the space is in the Premier League. And I think that's yeah, you know, it's quite an interesting idea of Ertel, is that you have to learn the league just in terms of where where players naturally move to where you can exploit gaps um, plus for sleeping in the, in the physical thing and, and, and plus just everything is now going through him because, because Sanchez isn't there
1: Should his manager be getting some praise here also for sticking with him and for sticking up for him I know Wenger does get that there's, there have been plenty of suggestions over the last few years that maybe he indulges his players a little bit too much but you get a guy like Di Maria clearly a massively talented player who's bombed out of Manchester United after one mediocre season Wenger may be a little bit more patient with his creative players
2: um, possibly, I mean, I'm not sure. Maria was necessarily bombed out as much as wanting to leave. I mean, I think that's a slightly more complex issue than, than the club losing patience with him. But I, I think, yeah, I mean, it would be very would have been very easy for to to oh yeah, he's not strong for Premier League. Let's get rid of him. And the fact that you, the, the, the Arsenal have shown patience, it is to their credit, absolutely. And the fact that they've you know, slightly modified their approach. Um, and I, I, yeah, I guess they have such pace wide, which which really suits her, the that. that you know, he needs the players running behind the defence to play those three balls through to. Um, so, you know, they, they have changed that a little bit. They're a little bit less ponderous in their approach play now. So, yeah, all of that is is to Wenger's credit. But in, in terms of Arsenal as a whole, you've still got the problem at the, at the back of midfield.
3: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking at a situation where the two teams that are heavily favoured to win the title have both suffered Terrible defeats this season. I mean, Arsenal just a couple of days ago, and Manchester City were beaten four-one at home by Liverpool, which is their worst home defeat since they moved to stadium. This is the kind of thing that didn't used to happen to teams that won the title.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I think there's been three teams in Premier League history have lost by four goals or more and, and gone on to win the title. So it's you know that's in what twenty.
3: Uh, Man United definitely five, did 20, it 20, when, 20, they, 20, when yeah, they lost United to got beat, Newcastle. Well,
2: five 0 by Newcastle and went on to win the title. Yeah. So it, it is possible, it has happened before, but yeah, it's very unusual. But this is a really unusual season. I mean, I think it's a season where nobody is scared of anybody. That you know, it's it's a season without an aura. Um and I remember uh, an interview that John Bruin did actually with with Steve Nicol talking about Liverpool when they lost their aura at sort of you know, the early nineties and saying, you know, once it's gone you can't get it back because teams suddenly look at you and think, you know, we, we can actually get something here. Whereas through the eighties Teams have gone to Anfield and so sort of thought, well, if we don't get beaten for three or four nil, we, we've done all right. And I, th- I think, yeah, that has been the case. with Teams going to Stamford Bridge or going to to the Emirates, going to Old Trafford, and it, it's not the case now. Teams go there and, and think, yeah, why why shouldn't we get a result? Um, and yeah, Chelsea, I guess, is the is the extraordinary one. Not only one home defeat under Jose Mourinho, up until the start of the season. And suddenly for this season, that teams go to Stamford Bridge and they, they're they not afraid of, of getting hammered and therefore they play with more freedom. They're prepared to attack. And suddenly little yeah, defense, defensive deficiencies we might not notice become apparent and, and then it becomes self-perpetuating that people see the weaknesses. And so everybody sort of goes in every... I mean, maybe Arsenal and Sunderland don't, but apart from that, everybody goes in every game thinking they can beat the opposition.
1: Uh, what are the, well obviously one of those teams has been Leicester but we're expecting them maybe to start falling away at this stage Tottenham are in third place and I've noticed in a couple of post-match interviews recently their players are being asked almost urged to tell the interviewer yeah we're going to go for the title here forget about the a measly Champions League place they're obviously reluctant to do that too publicly but if you were a Tottenham Hotspur fan would you be thinking about the league title at this stage after three wins on the, on the bounce?
2: Yeah I mean, I'd certainly be thinking well I'd be thinking two things one I'd be thinking this is probably the best chance we're going to get in a decade. Um, th- that you know, this is an, a really odd season in terms of all the big teams not playing well, and therefore, if you are a Tottenham or an Everton or, or a Liverpool or an Arsenal, even th- you know, this this is your chance. It's not going to be this this easy ever again. Um, so you've got to make the most of it. And I think, as a Tottenham fan, I'd be slightly frustrated. That they they're not already doing better. I mean, they've drawn what eight games this season. Yeah. And my my guess would be of those eight games, it have been the better side in in three quarters of them. So of those six games, say they they got a winner in three of them, as as they did against Watford, getting the late winner. That's another six points, and suddenly they they are at the top, and and maybe that over reliance on Harry Kane for goals will in the end cost them. That 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 opening period of the season when Kane wasn't scoring, that they they could have nicked a couple of more results. And you know, things like the the home game against Liverpool. You know, the second half, then they really should have should have got something out of that game and didn't. I think they occasionally let have let in sloppy equalisers. So, so yeah, I, I would be thinking of, of a title, but I would also be thinking that they've slightly missed their chance. That they they could be in a better position than they are. Having said that, I think Everton are, are way more culpable than that. I mean, you look at this Everton squad, you look at some of their performances this season, and they should be. Yeah, they should be way higher than they are, and their their problems at the back have really undermined what 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 otherwise has been been an excellent season. I'd be hugely frustrated if I was an Everton fan this season.
3: Yeah, it's it's been disastrous for them. But just on the subject of Kane, uh, you know, when he had that spell at the start of the season, you wondered if maybe he it looked, at, you know, he had a bit of the yips, or something like this, that maybe his form last season had been a little bit out of the ordinary. But actually, that that player from last season is is back now. Um, he looks really confident. He is a, a, a kind of player who, okay, maybe he's not necessarily the most technically skilled striker in Europe at the moment, but he is pre- pre- uh, prepared to try things. He's got a kind of daring on the field. Uh, at the moment, would you say he's the best uh, the best English striker?
2: Oh, yeah, I think without question. I mean, who else is the really, I mean, Jordan, I guess. But, but um, in uh, terms of, yeah, intelligence of movement, in terms of, Goal scoring, in terms of his ability to hold the ball up, in terms of work rate, in terms of you know, he he's he's. I, I mean, I, I think apart from the goal scoring, you, you'd struggle to say he's brilliant at anything. But he's really good at a whole load of things, and the overall package is is very impressive and obviously very hard to play against. So, um, yeah, I'd be hugely surprised if. Well, my no, huge surprise is, is, is wrong because obviously things can happen in the second half of the season. But at the moment. I think he'd have to be England's first-choice centre-forward for the Euros.
1: All right, Jonathan, and thanks for everything uh, throughout the year. Thank you.
2: Cheers, thank you. So He's almost like having a second captain, isn't
3: he? Well, you. Second captain, first captain, whatever.
1: Richie Sadler's here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was.
2: What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about it, but they would have seen it. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.
1: Yeah, it's interesting description by Jonathan. A season without an aura. Certainly, mm. no no team is projecting their own aura in any sort of intimidating fashion so far.
3: Well, you know the the exceptions maybe are are teams like uh, Crystal Palace, Leicester, mm-hmm. and Watford, who who are just sort of saying, "Yeah, let's you know, let's see what you can do against us." I mean, these these teams have suddenly become quite scary. You know, you're talking about. Teams which are, are, are you, you know, you hear the names of these teams, and in the Premier League era they've invariably been cannon fodder. You know what I mean? Struggling to remain above the relegation zone, losing most of their matches. A guaranteed the home three points for, you know, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal. Suddenly, um, it's completely changed Now, I don't know where that change in mentality has come from. I mean, I think back to say, do you remember when Brian Robson was the manager of West Brom and in something like the second or third game of the season, he sent out like his reserve team to play against Chelsea. And he, and afterwards said, well, obviously we're not going to get in from this game. So why, why put the match in the player's legs? You know, we need to save them for games that we've actually got a chance in for games that we've actually got a hope in hell of getting something out of. And, the contrast between the attitude of, uh, you know, these uh, smaller teams in the Premier League now, and the 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 deadening defeatism of Robson then is fantastic. It's made it it's great for the league. I mean, the the sort of flip side of it is that you you're thinking, are any of these teams actually any good? I mean, I know Man United and Chelsea have both had Chelsea obviously a disastrous season, The United season is going bad, but watching the game. Uh, between them last night, I thought this is this is actually a poor game. Yeah. You know, two bad teams who are struggling to put together um much constructive play of any kind. Uh so that maybe that's maybe that has something to do with the fact that Crystal Crystal Palace and Watford and Leicester and teams like this are, are unafraid. There's not really that much to be afraid of. But I, I I think on balance it's a very good thing for the league. I mean no we still we have a league here where still nobody knows who's going to win it. Well, who is going to win it?
1: Who, well, who's your call at this point Where towards the end of where well, we finished uh, I might
3: as well I might as well stick with Arsenal my original choice which yeah. I then backtracked from but now I'm kind of going back towards because <laughs> yeah. they won a few games but you know the, you look at the the bookies odds and there's no odds on favourite in the Premier League you look at Germany and I think Bayern are, are 30 to 1 on Barcelona are two uh, 9 to 2 on I think Paris Saint-Germain obviously are are, are, are huge the only the only league big league, which is which is similar to the Premier League, is uh, Serie A, where Juventus, I think, are still the favourites, but had a, such a terrible start to the season. They kind of had a Chelsea-like start to the season, but uh, are still the favourites because nobody really believes. I think Napoli are, are up there as well, but nobody really believes in any of these other teams. So, you know, at least the Premier League is a little bit open, uh, which... Uh, yeah, I think it's. I think it's better than than it being one of those so leagues where one team is just is just absolutely destroying everyone else.
1: Back to Arsenal for, for the time. Crawling like, back to Arsenal for the time being. Yeah. Uh, just one final point to make on that Manchester United game. What surrounds the Wayne Rooney tackle towards the end on wasn't mm. on Oscar. Yeah. I, if I was a coach again if I was well ideally if I was a coach in football I would coach people to play beautiful passing football and improve their technique and all those kind of things but if I was one of those cynical coaches a win at all costs kind of guy Mm. I'd be coaching my players to instinctively get to the point that they instinctively apologize for any sort of fail and they'll just never get red carded if you apologize straight away despite a clear red card offense you're you're rarely going to get sent off now okay maybe if you break a guy's leg possibly I know we're see anyone hurt but just apologise boom yellow card everyone's happy enough uh, and of course all your mates in the BT commentary box won't well, unbelievable
3: man of the match uh, unbelievable because he ran around a lot and Skulls oh I the. missed an absolute sitter at the
1: end yeah Skulls that's what I like to see from Wayne Rooney that the tackle he's talking about the re- now in fairness people might say well at least goals have been Skolls consistent say there that. yeah I'd like to see that if you take the fire out of Wayne Rooney oh. you don't have the same player R- Rio Ferdinand said well I just think he mistimed it and in fairness the ref who's who's their ref they have they do this thing on BT Sport we have got a referee oh it's Howard Webb Howard Webb it was yeah said well yeah that's I know I, I know, Rio feels that's mistimed but actually it's a red card <laughs> yeah, it's a definite red yeah. card
3: I mean, but I couldn't understand why they were raving so much about Rooney I mean he did he did in it
0: half a good, decent. He, yeah, he had good energy about him, I think yeah. it was the point. Yeah.
3: It, it was half decent. He was he was laying the ball off nicely. He had a shot in the first half, which was, you know, a powerful on target shot. That hasn't happened that hasn't happened a lot recently. He, okay, so his general play was better. The idea that he was the man of the match, I suppose looking at the rest of the players in the match, nobody was that that good. I mean, I thought the best piece of play in the match by any individual was probably David De Gea's double save. From Pedro and then from Aspillacueta, you know that was probably the outstanding uh, moment of quality that any of the players produced. But I don't really see how Wayne Rooney can be man of the match when he misses a chance like that at the end. So, you know that's that's been a problem all season for Manchester United. Wayne Rooney missing chances. That
1: was I would say that was reasonably difficult that chance, but the one that he I missed. I honestly, I you don't really do so. really even don't the think height so. it
3: came out and the speed for it came a player in. for a player of Wayne Rooney's. Ability for a player of of Wayne Rooney's supposed ability, that's a tap in. He
1: missed one earlier that, luckily for him, was deemed offside, where the ball bounced, uh, the ball sort of bouncing gently in the air. He spun around, and all he had to do was make any sort of contact with it. it was, he was six yards out; it was a goal, and he totally Mis- ber- misjudged, yeah, the misjudged the ball. Missed the yeah, point. pretty much, which I thought was a terrible miss. Now, as it happened, that was offside, but he wasn't to know that as he well. As it, it
3: seems to me um that he, you know, he gets he, he gets panicked now. Because, because he's been struggling to score, he now panics with these chances in front of the goal. When, whenever he gets the ball in that zone, so he was sort of like a player, a striker who's playing his way back to form. Mm-hmm. Last night, all his outside the box stuff was pretty good, uh, and you know he was he he obviously had a real okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna f- try and fight my way through this. And remember when he came on against Stoke, I mean, they were talking about Van Gaal drops Serene against Stoke, but I see that Van Gaal was looking at it thinking. Uh, you know, we've got two games in, in, course, t- in yeah. two days. Like, you know, Rooney is like, you know, not not, you know, an Iron Man triathlete at this stage of his career. Let's uh, maybe use him as a sub here and then play him from the start against Chelsea. And Rooney played well when he came on against Stoke. He set up a, a chance for Fellaini that should have been a goal. But you need to score. I mean, it's like Mourinho was talking about Diego Costa. One of the shots he kind of was taking at Costa saying, "Well, yeah, Costa." Now he basically. Is freaks out any time he gets the ball in the box so that's why you never see him in the box now He he's always running out to the wing and he wants to contribute to play and all that and that's that's great but I need my striker to score Rooney has to score you, you miss a chance like that I would have gone for a different man of the match
1: Alright thanks for all the lovely messages about the second captain's sports annual seems a lot of you got your wish and found it in your presumably oversized stocking if your loved ones failed in their task you need to do two things take two steps immediately first off get them, bomb them out of your life. There's no space for somebody who didn't realise that was the one gift and the only gift that you really wanted. And after you've taken care of that messy business, go to the shops and get a copy for yourself or do it in secondcaptains.com. In the meantime, Ken has brought in the last of his soggy biscuits, so we're going to polish these off, Ken. you don't mind it, myself and Simon. Delicious. Dig in here. Uh, We'll chat to you again on Thursday for a New Year's Eve special featuring Richie Sadler in the meantime. Thanks, Ken.
3: Thank you, Al. And thanks for listening.
2: That's the second time it's done huh? off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, though.